We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, March 7, 2022. Yes, Major League Baseball, the Players Association met on Sunday, March 6th. Yes. The talks are still not going anywhere. The only meaningful update is that the Players Association are now taking their demands and documenting them. So they're going to be written demands as far as the negotiations. Uh, Previously, they just must have been spoken. So it's difficult to track what's been requested from Sunday and what angles the bargaining parties are now taking. It's a mess. That's why in this episode, we are not taking another deep dive into the CBA negotiations. Instead, this is an all-mailbag episode. We'll be answering your questions from our Patreon supporters first, and then we'll tackle the questions we got from our Twitter followers at SoxMachine and following me at SoxMachine underscore Josh. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim, an all-mailbag episode. I love these shows, but before we begin, mm-hmm. how's the curling going? It's going pretty well. Uh, personally, back into league play, which feels good after a two-year hiatus due to moving and pandemic and waiting for <laughs> curling to be local, but now Nashville Curling Club is up and running, so that's terrific. And then we got the Briar. I wrote up uh, how to watch the Briar, what to watch for, why to watch it, you know, basically because... Curling is the sport I follow that's actually loving me back right now. Uh, basically, uh, you know, baseball, obviously, you no know the issues there. Being a Blackhawks fan, not very rewarding either. So, yeah, I, I like the Bulls. I follow the Bulls. But I mean, like in terms of, you know, top three sports or top three sports I follow, uh, you know, with with real heart on the line or, or you know, with with ardent interest. Yeah, curling's the only one that's uh, backing me up. And the Briar is great. Briar is basically the Olympic grade curling but all contained to one country it's just as deep with like four to six teams that could theoretically win it is that like good prize money is does does curling have major tournaments like we see in tennis and golf it does but everybody has day jobs 
And then that's what makes it different okay. from say like the top teams in Sweden uh, or, or other countries uh, is that they are given money to train and compete and go around the world and, and enter tournaments. Whereas with Canada and the U S they tend to be mostly second jobs or at least like half jobs. They're minor celebrities in a way. So, you know, they don't necessarily have to work, you know, 40 hours at their other gigs, although a lot do, but it's, it's mostly just, you know, they, they grew up doing it. They've gotten better at it than basically anybody in the world because the culture is so strong and, and developing curlers that, you know, it's, it's ingrained in them and that they can, uh, you know, make some money on the side and, and, and go around and, and, and earn a second living, but it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not, career defining or life-changing money or career defining money like one injury and such and you know if you have to take a couple years off then you need to find up a backup got it so it hasn't reached that level yet where someone can make a career out of it and they are just a curler because of tournament money and sponsorship money uh correct i'm looking up the briar prize money for total purse for the entire briars three hundred thousand dollars so first prize is uh, if the first place gets $100,000 split four ways or five ways if you have an alternate or a coach. But yeah. Okay. Got it. So it's that's the top tournament in Canada and everybody gets, the winners get $25,000 a piece. Got it. More or less. Okay. See, so if curling ever followed a similar model to like, let's say professional golf and they had like 15 to 20 tournaments and each tournament was a $300,000 purse that I could see where you could become a professional curler and make six figures a year playing the sport. But it doesn't sound like that's not the setup right now for curling. Yeah, at least in the in North America, you know, when you're like, say, if you're Nicholas Adin in Sweden, you know, perhaps you know, between the money earned winning a lot of tournaments around the world and also getting money from the government to basically train or from the Olympic program, um, you know, maybe they can get there. But uh, otherwise you just have to be at the top of your game and, you know, maybe get a few endorsements to maybe come close, but you know, most everybody has second jobs or careers and, and, uh, and do this as a, uh, second job. Well, that's your curly machine update. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> to our questions and we're going to start first with our socks machine, Patreon supporters. Thank you guys as always for your continued support. And if you uh, do not support us right now on Patreon, and you would like to, if you would like exclusive content, ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and first opportunity to get our new Socks Machine swag, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. First question from our Patreon supporters, from Kirk Kasicki. Kirk is asking, Jim, so, any good house renovation stories? They got us through the last dark times. Well, uh, I'm... Working a little bit on the garage, I uh, actually have a garage, very small one, one car in my, I have a small car, barely fits right now, not using it because I have a bunch of storage stuff to go through, but working on the garage organization, storage and shelving so that I can park my car in the garage. Uh, well, it's uh, small enough to do so. And then also with a backyard that's a blank slate, trying to figure out what to do with that, uh, trying to contend with moles, which is fun. Um, hmm. Never encountered that before. You know, tunneling through the backyard, that's fun. But yeah, those are my projects. And uh, if uh, the season uh, forecast is as depressing as some are saying right now, uh, Carl Ravitch is wondering openly if there's going to be a 2022 season, which feels a little bit dark. But 
you don't know, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, then I guess I'll have plenty of time to provide said updates uh, on these projects. How about you now that you're a homeowner? Cause last time, you know, we did this, uh, you were not a homeowner, I believe. That's correct. Yeah. We're going to be coming up on our first year anniversary of closing on our house and being a, an official bridge porter for our first year. Uh, so very exciting. I think our next renovation is building out a pantry. Hmm. So in our kitchen, technically we have two full bathrooms. We have a powder room on the first level, which we could, we, we have built that as our gym. So for those that do not know, if you are not on Twitter, I am part of the Peloton cult. Uh, I have both, we have both the bike and the treadmill. We have the treadmill that killed the kid. We never sent it back during the recall. Uh, So we still have the dangerous treadmill. So that's one powder room. Originally. Wait, you can fit a, you can fit a treadmill and bike in a half bathroom? No. Or do do we have a different understanding of powder room? So the first level, if you walk to the front door, Mm -hmm. there's about a 10 by 12 area. And that's where we put the treadmill and the bike. Okay. Attached to this 10 by 12 room is just a, a powder room. It's just okay. a toilet. So it's a, so it's like a foyer and a half bath. Exactly. Okay. I was thinking <laughs> this huge bathroom that only had a toilet and a sink and a treadmill and a bike. <laughs> yeah, that would be impressive. <laughs> yeah. There's a similar bathroom set up by the kitchen on our second floor. And we were thinking that's a terrible spot for another bathroom because you don't know what people are going to do in there as far as their business. And if it's terrible smelling as they walk out with the kitchen, nobody wants that. So we are the previous homeowners never installed a toilet in there. They used it as Hmm. a pantry and we continue to use it as a pantry. But we, what we'd like to do is, build out the pantry because we're just storing stuff there. We had an old storage rack from our previous apartment that we put in there, but I'm going to need suggestions because we did the whole closet works when we redid our master bedroom closet and the podcast slash office studio. uh, We, we used closet works and we built out as far as our closet solution, the shelves, the racks, etc. But for the pantry, we may want to have it professionally done because Kim wants a larger wine fridge and we have a need to have a larger wine fridge and we want it to be built into the pantry. So for the listeners, if you've ever built out a pantry or you've had someone build out one for you, I am all ears because I think that's going to be the next project that we tackle. Eventually, we want to redo the guest full bathroom and then redo our deck as far as the rooftop to that synthetic material. Cause boy, Chicago winter is just beat up on, on wood decks. Uh, so it has to be replaced at some point. Those are the big three right now, but next is going to be the pantry. Why not a toilet pantry? No, no, no. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? I guess, well, you could take care of two things. One, I can go get Frank's dog food and, uh, you know, take care of my own business. 
All I was in just thinking like room. resale value, like you give the next uh, owner like the choice of what to do with that room. <laughs> yeah. Dealer's it's gonna, choice. It's going to be a pantry. That's what I'm deciding for them. Okay. <laughs> but Kirk, thank you so much for your question. That's uh, that's on my agenda. So if you guys have any suggestions, again, I am all ears. Uh, Eric Johansson wrote to us, do any of the relegation approaches to Major League Baseball seem attractive to you? That seems very unlikely as it would impact a lot of entrenched interest, but it's fun to consider. It would be fun. It would just take like a, you'd have to basically divide Major League Baseball in half because you can't really do it AAA. You can't do it with the, the stadium size. Like I'm thinking right now with uh, the, the uh, Arizona Coyotes mm-hmm. playing at a 5,000 seat arena and how embarrassing that is to the nhl like it's kind of cool uh, but it's also kind of embarrassing the way that was it the chargers had to play in a soccer stadium yes for a couple of years because they just were not prepared or or like kind of got rushed out of san diego because san diego didn't um didn't didn't buy their bluff or, or basically call their bluff for um uh not funding a stadium down there so it seems like based on those two leagues the reception that those teams got for playing in two small stadiums i don't see like 10,000 seat triple a stadiums being a great option for a major league team. And I don't see the money being there to build up like say a Charlotte or a Nashville or just any kind of, you know, maybe San Antonio or some kind of like next market up that might get a major league team, but also might not get one. And all of a sudden you spend a lot of city money for 20,000 extra seats that are never used because they're still triple a and been triple a for years. So I think it would take, some kind of dividing up of Major League Baseball, whether it's like 16 and 16 if they go to 32 teams or 20 and uh, yeah, 20 and 12. Just something where you have Major League stadiums on both sides, but only one is playing for the World Series and another one is playing for something smaller. And that would seem like kind of cool, you know, if <laughs> just to put pressure on teams to win and, and get that pressure. But it could also be tough. Uh, you know, the, the one thing I can see being an issue is that while it puts pressure on teams to win and create stakes for a a certain amount of teams that are on this on this bubble going up and down and gives them something to play for. If you're a team that say like if it turns out that you have like six bottom feeders who never can break out of relegation, those markets, I think, just wither and die. Like if they're just like never quite major league teams, they never like play major league teams, or at least, you know, on the level, like maybe there's some kind of interleague play between the two, but they mm-hmm. just don't really ever, you know, more or less match up. I, I don't see a way that, you know, those bottom feeders and like the small markets, like a Pittsburgh pirates team, I don't see how they ever really break through in a meaningful way. And so I think in order to try to keep the markets of all teams healthy, I think you have to have them being major league teams at all times. But right now with the way, owners are acting in the way that, you know, not only, you know, it's one thing to have like multi-year rebuilds and just commit to it, tearing it down. But when you have teams like, you know, the, the pirates or the Orioles just going through these, these rebuilds and not paying. And, and even when they're like, you know, the pirates and mildly successful, not going the extra 20 million on the payroll to really help sustain it and, 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 and create that, those postseason expectations that keep a market like Milwaukee going, uh, despite similar, concerns of the market size it just seems like uh you know the major league prestige is enough to have those markets survive so that's why i think it's gonna be tough to relegate but i think that's the way it would have to be because i think triple a just doesn't quite work 
the way that it does in with my understanding of, of relegation soccer leagues where every team's playing in more or less adequate facilities for the next level up. Eric, thank you so much for your question. Doug Wirtz wrote to us, are there any other fun type of baseball things we could watch? Heard of something called banana ball, but I'm not sure where they play that. Oh, well, I mean, I know you, you'd uh, push for college baseball. Like if you, if you accept that, yes. um, now is a great time to support, you know, if you, if you live by a major program or even like you just a major conference, probably good to check that out if you haven't uh, before. I'm looking forward to getting to some Vanderbilt games myself. And then, you know, minor league games uh, may as well support. It's been really hard for minor league teams. Uh, so now is a good time to uh, you know, redirect your interest to your local you know, minor league team or independent team, especially like say if it's an independent team that previously was affiliated. Yeah, those are my 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 basically my answers for anything baseball related because I've not heard of banana ball. And don't I can't think of any like curling or sorry, cur- you know, uh, baseball adjacent sports that are like that. And, you know, curling is the closest I can think of just because it deals in in uh, ends, which are like innings, but that's about it. But I, I think there's a lot of baseball to find. You know, like Chicago Dogs, we talked about them recently. Like that's another one to check out. I think mm-hmm. now is the time to try to reward the teams that had really tough years the last two years and then help them uh, get on sounder footing to hopefully ward off future contraction. Because if uh, this labor fight is any uh indication pair that with the previous contraction like it seems like owners are fine with less and less baseball so you may as well try to support uh all arguments for more baseball uh while you can maybe put your thumb on the scale to whatever extent you can yeah as far as the college baseball i've been getting this question a lot how are you watching the games uh if you have an espn plus subscription for a lot of us have Disney plus subscriptions because either you're a fan of like Marvel or star Wars, or if you got kids, uh, Disney plus goes a long way to keep them entertained. I think there's a lot of packages that include ESPN plus. So if you go to ESPN three.com, I still use that old URL. It redirects you. And if you do have a cable subscription, Xfinity, for example, I have YouTube TV that, you get the ACC plus, the SEC plus, and then the ESPN plus broadcasts of baseball games. So typically over the weekend, they'll have anywhere from like 15 to 25 broadcasts that they'll be broadcasting college baseball games. So if you are interested in watching maybe the next wave of players to join the major leagues and you want to track the same players that I'm tracking for the 2022 Major League Baseball draft, uh, I use ESPN Plus a lot. There's a also a broadcast service called FlowSports.tv uh, for the schools that have an agreement with that service provider, that streaming service provider. That's where I'll watch games. And sometimes universities themselves, because they do have like a, a media department, a, a TV or radio broadcasting program as far as their broadcast journalism program, that there are times that they'll be broadcasting straight on their athletic website. For example, this past weekend, Gonzaga gets Oklahoma State. I just watched on uh, Oklahoma State's athletic website. So those are the areas for those that want to watch college baseball and you're like, hey, I I don't know where I could find them. They're not going to be part of your just cable live programming. Uh, You're going to have to find the streaming options. And sometimes they do work on the TV, especially if you have the ESPN app on your smart TV. 
But a lot of times I'm watching on my computer or my tablet or smartphone. I'll have like a two or three games going on. So if you're looking for baseball, yeah, that, that's how you can. That's how you can also watch the Briar on oh. the ESPN app. You have to uh, scroll through every single college basketball, baseball, uh, wrestling, and gymnastics meet in order to find it but eventually you'll see the uh, photo with the curling stones on it and uh and you'll get your uh, solid tsn coverage of the product awesome so there you go espn plus they are not sponsoring this podcast but they should uh after that psa uh next question from thomas sheehan thomas is asking did and i don't know how to say their name shigo shigo I'm just going with CHGO, the new media platform that was released, or I should say announced on March 4th for Chicago's birthday. Uh, Did that media platform try to recruit either of you for their super team? Seems like they poached a lot of successful podcasts or radio hosts in Chicago. Were you recruited, Jim? I was not. I'd like to think it's because I can't be bought. But I'm guessing it's more because, uh, one, I can be bought, uh, name a price, but also probably because I'm not in Chicago and can't really move to Chicago at this point. So I don't think I would be able to meet that. It would be N-S-H-V-L? Like, like yeah, however you shorten that. But yeah, it, it might be just Nash at that point if they, if they try to expand here. But yeah, I, I would not be able to meet that part of it. And that seems like a pretty important part of it to be able to appear in studio regularly and work in the the shared newsroom they have. Yeah, that, that would be, that would be really tough. Bless their hearts. Did they try to break us up? No, I can't be bought. (laughs) Uh, they can't afford me. Uh, (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, I bless their hearts. Uh, you know, Herb Lawrence, we've had Herbie on this show before. He's a very dear friend of the podcast and Sean Anderson and Viddy Duber, they're going to be doing Monday through Friday, one hour a day, a daily show about the White Sox. Good luck with the MLB lockout. I've been scratching my head on how we're going to do two one-hour podcasts a week about the White Sox during the times that we're in. They're going to try to do five hours, so one hour a day. I, I wish them all the luck. Uh, this is It's always a nervous time to launch a a sports media platform because uh, things are always evolving. And there, I had my doubts about the athletic when the athletic launched in Chicago, all those years ago, would people subscribe routinely and continue with their monthly subscriptions and their annual subscriptions. And it was a huge hit. It was a huge hit in Chicago. Has the athletic worked in every market? No, but eventually they got bought by the New York times and, now they got a lot of staying power. I don't see the athletic fading away. And uh, CHGO, I, I know the folks in Denver, DNVR, long time ago, I did a podcast for them talking about Jose Quintana hmm. uh, <laughs> and making his last start over the weekend. That's when we were back with Southside Sox. And uh, so that's how I've known this company. And they expanded to Phoenix, and now they're in Chicago. So great news for everyone. I think it's a great opportunity, especially for those that are looking to go from a producer role to now hosting role, to be in front of the camera, to be in front of the mic. And I I wish them the the best of success because the more media platforms that do expand, it does create more opportunities for everyone. 
Uh, the thing that you don't want to see is more media entities closing up shop. Because uh, if that goes that route, I, I will tell you the Chicago White Sox would not mind at all if they are the only ones covering themselves. Because <laughs> yeah. they can. Uh, I mean, Brooks Broyer and Jerry Reinstorf, they started Silver Chalice Media. Uh, and then Silver Chalice was a big part of BAMTech uh, that they helped launch that platform. And Silver Chalice now runs Stadium. So the White Sox, they, they know what they're doing. They they could definitely cover themselves. Yeah, part of the reason I, I've been doing this for as long as I have because I don't want them to win. <laughs> I feel like they, they try to drive me out sometimes. Like, nope, uh, you're stuck with me. Um, <laughs> you're either but, stuck uh, with us or you could retire. That Those are your two options. We're younger than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that just asked to put a hit on us. But yeah, when it comes to, uh, uh, well, I was thinking like when it, with uh, CH, uh, CHGO, um, like I feel, well, fortunately, Kevin Kadek's lucky this time. Like he launched Midway Minute right in time for the pandemic to come and like wipe out all sports, like a great Chicago sports newsletter, but it took months for it to start actually being able to cover Chicago sports the regularity because they all dried up quickly after he launched and he did a great job keeping it going and, and really inventive uh, how he managed to do it. But like now he gets to, to uh, be a, the content director for uh, this site. Now there's a lockout. Although fortunately the bulls are probably going to do enough to uh, keep everybody interested through, you know, hopefully, you know, long into the summer, but uh, you know, maybe between the bulls ending and bears camp starting might mm-hmm. be a little bit tough. So uh, that, that guy deserves uh an easier launch than he's had <laughs> his last two ventures, uh, just world events and, and, and sports business event, events conspiring against him. So hopefully uh, the Bulls take it easy on him. Hey, Kevin, if you're listening to this, if you can survive this period, I think you guys will be in great shape. Uh, you got the Bulls. You got the NFL draft coming up for the Chicago Bears. I know the Blackhawks are not great. They got great people talking about the Blackhawks, but the Blackhawks are... Honestly, they're toxic. I don't think anybody really wants to touch them outside of the Blackhawks diehard fans at the moment. What's going on with that organization, even though they're they're trying to change the the culture that's associated uh, with that franchise. And then, of course, the White Sox and Cubs are locked out. So, again, if you, if you could survive this period, you should be golden the, the rest of the way. Oh, lean into the Chicago sky. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Yeah. Now's the time to probably uh, double down there. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, Thomas, thank you so much for your question. Uh, our next uh, Patreon question uh, slash curiosity, I'll call it, comes from Robin. And Robin wrote to us, what effects do you think starting Andrew Vaughn in the outfield had on his development? I'm glad to see that he wasn't relegated to just DH since players don't prefer that and often don't perform as well offensively being a full-time DH. I'm curious as to what starting a new player out of position could have, or if there's much precedent of other players going through that one could draw off of. I don't know if there is really, I don't know if you can separate Vaughn playing outfield for the first time in any kind of meaningful environment uh, from the fact that he had no standard experience above uh, a ball. 
Like, I, I, I don't know if you can separate just the new position from just the lack of upper-level experience. I think if he were playing first base, like, say, Jose Abreu were not in the picture for one way or another reason or another, traded or got injured, and Vaughn was the everyday first baseman, I would imagine his numbers would look similar. He looked like a young player who had some moments in an idea of the strike zone, but just had a little bit of trouble turning around good pitching or, or being having to be defensive in the box, you know, having counts go against him, having to scramble, not being able to like to swing um, with the kind of confidence where you, you know, lift and pull uh, with, with authority. And uh, you know, the, the strikeouts you can live with because the strikeouts feel like you're, you know, it, it's a good process you have. You understand, you know, what you can do damage on situations where you can uh, try to swing harder and, and, you know, sit on pitches. But when you're learning the league and you're learning just, upper level pitching in general, and then specifically how pitchers on certain teams are facing you after seeing them multiple times for the first time uh, in his career. I would think uh, his numbers would be more or less the same if he played at first base, never really had to entertain playing anywhere they never played before. So that's kind of how I see him. And I think when you see like, say, Gavin Sheets also doing something similar, playing in right field just as much as first base and DH, uh, when he was basically an everyday first baseman in Charlotte until late. Yeah, I, I think he was pretty impressive with how he handled that offensively and that didn't really seem to affect him. So based on what we've seen from the White Sox shifting guys around and being more flexible this year, Jake Berger can now also add him. I don't think there's anything there to say that it hurt him. I, I think it's probably good that it happened. Probably good that he looked good enough too. Like he was, if anything, he was just cautious and he played deep and maybe rounded some balls off and didn't take uh, aggressive routes, but he didn't have any embarrassing moments that made you think this is a disaster in waiting. I, I think uh, he was, uh, you know, the White Sox did well to train him and he probably did well to protect himself from any kind of uh, jiffable moments. <laughs> that might uh, uh, follow him around. It does bring up the psychology of playing the sport, though. Because when you are even in Little League, you would have coaches say, beware of taking your bat out into the field. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if you had a bat at bat, you need to learn quickly to try to erase that. Because if that thought continues to linger, it could impact on how you play defensively. And there's also the old saying that, Sure enough, if you make a great defensive play, of course they're going to get a base hit in their next at bat. They got that little boost of confidence for making a great play. Uh, and oftentimes it's just coincidence. But there may be something as far as sports psychology-wise that if you do get a little bit more confidence, does that help with your focus and the next time that you have to perform that you're on stage? I think there is something to it. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not a psychologist, though. It, maybe that would be a fun podcast to do in the future because I got a lot of questions as far as those types of theories, uh, if they are true. And for Andrew Vaughn, it is something to wonder that with him trying to not make any mistakes in left field and not embarrass himself, did that sometimes overthinking or maybe focusing more defensively impact his ability to hit? Or is it just that this is a guy who didn't even play triple A baseball? <laughs> He's trying to learn how to hit major league pitching or double A, yeah. Out of necessity, uh, because the White Sox had just lost Eloy Jimenez for a very long period of time in 2021. Yeah, I can, I can see it like going another way where you can say like if he's playing a new position that he is still like doesn't have the instinct so he has to think everything through, think, you know, positioning uh, very carefully, think, you know, kind of uh, 
you know, when to back off on balls to the gap, how to follow balls in the corner. Like if you're learning that for the first time, perhaps that works your advantage in that like you can't take, maybe you don't take batted bats into the field because you have to think it through. Whereas if you're first base and you have actions that are more or less natural to you and you think you know what you're doing, if you just, if, if you defer to those instincts a little bit too much and you're just not in a great headspace, perhaps, you know, that suffers. But if you have to think every step of the way through defensively, like say, you know, I'm just thinking like, say a home renovation project or like, you know, or, or anything you're doing for the first time following instructions, like the first time you're doing it, you're following the instructions every step of the way. It's like the fourth time you're doing it where you think like, oh, I got this. And then you miss a step and you have to redo it because you're not quite good enough to uh, coast yet. You know, perhaps it's a case where, mm-hmm. you know, if it's everything's new to him defensively, maybe there's a greater separation of offense and defense because they're both uh, tasks that uh, are require enough attention to where like he can't afford to really slip up. And on the college level, so for the upcoming Major League Baseball draft, we've been talking about this for the last couple of years, positionless players. If you can hit, the team's going to draft you just based on your hitting ability. They'll figure out what defensive position you'll play in the major leagues later. You could be listed as a shortstop or you'd be listed as a second baseman. You're probably not going to play that position in the major leagues. You're probably going to play somewhere in the outfield. But they drafted you in the first or second round because you can hit. And a good example, and I'll be writing about this more in the upcoming draft report on SoxMachine.com on Wednesday, Jacob Berry for LSU. He is going to be a top five pick in my opinion. And he was mostly a DH last year for Arizona that he transferred to LSU. There was rumors that he was going to play third base. I've been seeing him play right field now. So nobody has a good understanding of what defensive position Jacob Barry is going to play as far as even with LSU this college season or if he gets drafted tomorrow, if the draft was tomorrow, what defensive position that he would play. Everyone agrees, though, this is a major league caliber bat. And when he gets drafted and when he gets into the minor leagues, then whoever, whatever team drafts him, they'll figure that out along the way. And we may see more Andrew Vaughns, whether that's with the White Sox or across Major League Baseball. These players that we thought that they're going to be playing first base because that's what they played in college may not be the defensive position that they play when they reach the major leagues because the bat plays and they want the bat in the lineup. But out of necessity, they may have to play out of position. So it's a great question, Robin, and it's definitely a hot topic for all those that cover every level of baseball moving forward. Uh, John Collins wrote to us, is there anything exciting going on with the minor leaguers training in Arizona? Uh, I think um, right now you're getting a lot of coverage from there because that's all the White Sox can really present in terms of content and interest as long as there's this blanket ban on referring to anybody on the 40-man roster. You know, obviously you're not seeing any kind of game action. They're not using minor leaguers to play Cactus League games. And I think, you know, we talked about that before. It seemed like that's infringing on, uh, or you're getting close to replacement player type politics there. And even, you know, perhaps labor laws that don't allow that to happen. So they're still basically in the shadows. I wonder, you know, with the White Sox, with them playing, um, you know, with them having the web streams and they're, them being, you know, probably the team that offered the most non-network broadcasting or, or ways to watch 
the White Sox in Cactus League. Some, like some teams like the Dodgers aired every single spring training game. The White Sox did not, but you know, even if you didn't care for the webcast or thought they were a little bit low rent, they were still way better than so many other teams that only had radio broadcasts or maybe did a couple of TV broadcasts late in the year. So I was just happy to have visuals for all these players. I wonder if there's anything stopping them from you know, having that service for minor leaguers, like the minor league camp as they play other teams, because it, it would seem like it's not, you know, they didn't get any kind of advertising money from it, I don't think. You know, that the interstitials that they had in between innings are mostly about spring training tickets and, you know, season tickets and such, their own in-house advertising wasn't like any kind of national camping world type uh, uh, spots in between. So I would hope that if they have that infrastructure still in place to do those broadcasts and if like COVID didn't uh, restrict any kind of um, you know, personnel required to pull those off and if they can rope in a Scott Merkin or a, a Chuck Garfine like they had in previous years to do that if they might be able to give uh, fans something to watch because that would seem to avoid the replacement level stuff especially like if they do it in a you know, backfield or some kind of facility that isn't Camelback Ranch. I'm going to have to ask my NBC Sports Chicago contacts, what is their backup plan? Because we know in the past, especially during the rebuild, that they were able to rebroadcast or carry the Charlotte Knights broadcast. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering aloud. I don't know. That's why I'm going to have to ask if there are plans to do that again in April. Or if they would pick up the Birmingham Barons broadcast, or Winston Salem, or Canapolis, uh, and re- and also broadcast that on NBC Sports Chicago. I don't know all the details of how that happens and what would be involved as far as with mm-hmm. advertising, et cetera, et cetera. But it is something that I'm wondering if we may see that with NBC Sports Chicago because if they do cancel more games this week uh, as far as the regular season, then, yeah, I mean, NBC Sports Chicago is going to have these empty mm-hmm. programming spots that they, they had plans for. Uh, they were going to plan on broadcasting White Sox games. Instead of seeing the White Sox and NBC Sports Chicago, could we see the minor league games? Yeah, they're in better shape than Marquis, though. Yeah, Marquis in trouble. Yeah, good luck. Uh, <laughs> great time to start an RSN. Not a great time to start an RSN. Maybe a great time to start up a media platform like CHGO, but RSN, mm, not really. At least for baseball. Yeah, like at least, uh, you know, when, when you have the Bulls and Blackhawks, you have something. True. When you have, yeah, unless they really go in all in the Iowa Cubs or something like that. But yeah, it's they might have to pursue a similar strategy. But yeah, base, the baseball only networks, I don't know what they're doing. Me neither. Best of luck, guys. Uh, Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, it's more of your questions, but this time from our Twitter followers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. We've already answered a lot of questions coming from our Patreon supporters. Let's tackle the questions that we got from our Twitter followers. And again, you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. One of our new friends, Phil Seelig, who does Cuba Dugout, wrote to us, what is the White Sox fans' perceptions on the organization's success in graduating prospects to the pros and comparing that to other Major League Baseball organizations? I would say it hasn't been good, like outside of the, you know, the, the Cuban pipeline. And, and and like I would say like Luis Robert and Jose Abreu, they came up and, and performed basically as, as well as you could expect them to. But they were also signed with kind of money that is not allowed any, well, Abreu could have signed for the contract he signed for because he was over 25, but Luis Robert would not be making uh, the same kind of money if he were entering the uh, international pool at this time. But when it comes to like the normal draft picks, the, the traditional international signings, you know, the six, five, six, seven figure guys, they've had a pretty rocky track record, especially on the position player side, like a lot of rough transitions, a lot of guys who took forever to draw their first walks. Like that was always fascinating watching you know, just year after year, like uh, just the latest impatient prospect who needed a hundred and something plate appearances to draw a walk. And then there'd be a sarcastic round of applause or like a, a an over-emotional fist pump for whoever did it uh, heading down the first base line. But I think last year, that that's one of the most encouraging things about the 2021 season is the guys who came up and just provided something, you know, the Gavin Sheets, the Jake Berger, um, and they, they both showed signs of um, getting adjusted to, but, you know, the White Sox did a good job of protecting them. Uh, they had good timing of when to send guys down. They had, you know, they had, they were lucky to have enough talent on hand to keep just kind of going through guys who could provide two good weeks at a time. But then I, I think Gavin Sheets is the one I'm, I'm most looking forward to in seeing just like, what was that second call-up all about where he was all of a sudden looking like a very credible D8? Like, even if he doesn't have a position, he could belong in that lineup. And he was, you know, perhaps the best bat that they had throughout the ALDS. And if that's going to be something that, if there's going to be more of him, like if Romy Gonzalez is going to be like like a Gavin Sheets type, where his second uh, look is a lot better than his first look. And, and there's more of that to come. Like, you know, whether it's a uh, Yolki Cespedes or, you know, Oscar Colas, like, uh, any of these perhaps, uh, closer to ready guys, maybe even like a Jose Rodriguez also fits in that Gilbert Sanchez. Like they have some guys who might be able to play, uh, make debuts in, uh, 2022, if there's a 2022 season, and I'm hoping that, you know, perhaps like the, the way we saw Berger and Sheets have moments last year and, and Sheets having that extended realm success hopefully indicates that the White Sox have a little bit more going for them when it comes to getting guys ready for major league pitching. I think the White Sox have done a very good job with the prospects they acquired, obviously, in the Chris Sale, Jose Quintana, 
and the Adabin trades. I mean, that got you Makata, Kopak, Jimenez, Cease, Giolito, Lopez, and they took Dane Dunning and got Lance Lynn. I mean, a very large part of the roster is coming from those three rebuild mm-hmm. trades. They have nailed the rebuild trades. And then they took advantage of the only opportunity they would ever have again by spending a lot of cash to get Luis Robert. So that has really worked to their advantage. The first round picks, I'm still hopeful for Andrew Vaughn, but you took your first round pick, Nick Magical, and flipped him for Craig Kimbrell. And that has led to really, let's, I'm just being nice here, uneven results early. Mm-hmm. Jake Berger, you can't control that. But injuries are part of the game, and that poor guy has gone through hell. It's great that he did get called up last year, and it's great that he flexed some power and he hit a home run at home. And maybe he will be more involved in the 2022 White Sox plans. But then you have, like, Zach Collins, which I'm not very high on. Zach Birdie is no longer (laughs) part of the organization. I know, shocking. Uh, Carson Fulmer. Uh, not part of the organization. Carlos Rodon finally broke out, but it was really uneven and injury-riddled seasons before 2021. They're just not doing a very good job with the first-round picks uh, because then before Carlos Rodon, you got Tim Anderson. And then before Tim Anderson, you've got Chris Sale. And before Chris Sale, it gets ugly really, really quick. Yeah, I think... I. Th- I think Chris Sale um, maybe gave the White Sox some false confidence in just how quickly they could produce other pitchers. True. Like, you know, Carlos Rodon was fast-tracked, and he, you know, as I mentioned before, like, I think a lot of his issues were not developing a routine, like not, you know, having a great five-day plan and not having some time to learn what works for him and what doesn't while trying to tread water for a team that has designs and contending and then uh you know when it comes to like Carson Fulmer that was kind of the same thing like unorthodox delivery uh great competitor we'll figure it out uh Tyler Danish was another guy like great competitor unorthodox delivery we'll figure it out and they just never none of those guys ever got traction so just uh I wonder if Sale being such a freak when it comes to 10 innings of the minors uh lights out reliever lights out starter potential hall of famer no false steps you know, maybe aside from the the first month or so of his first full season was a little bit rocky, but other than then, like no false steps, just had Tommy John surgery. But you know, that was that's really the only other obstacle he's encountered. The rest of it's been uh, amazing, and potentially, you know, he he'll probably be immortalized one way or another, whether it's retired number somewhere or a uh, Hall of Fame plaque. I just wonder if that 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 once in a generation success and, and just how easy it came, kind of. Uh, infected the way they developed pitching the rest of the way. And, and it wasn't, and also I think you had Jose Quintana too, also along the same lines, like being found money that kept like just multiplying in terms of what he gave the White Sox. So I just wonder mm-hmm. if they had an arrow where they thought, Oh, pitching's easy. We got this. And then just, it became really hard to come by. And then they had to go, you know, try to develop a lab and, and bring in Everett Tiford to try to, you know, incorporate more data and catch up with the other teams that were, maybe getting a head start on them and, and Don Cooper's magic didn't quite work the way it used to. So uh, it's uh yeah, it's, it's been rough on both sides, but I'm really hoping that when it comes to what we saw last year from the position players that they'll finally, you know, this work that they've uh, emphasized with, you know, 
avoiding strikeouts, like uh, the, the really severe strikeout to walk deficiencies in the minors. Like even Jose Rodriguez doesn't walk much, but he doesn't strike out much. Gilbert Sanchez is good at having, having bat to ball abilities. Jake Berger, that was his strength was uh, power with contact. Like I'm hoping we'll see some of this materialize with guys who don't look so overmatched in their first uh, couple shots at major league pitching. Yeah. And then the more recent first round picks, right? Garrett Crochet, He's part of the White Sox bullpen. I think some still want to see him start. I've never been on that bandwagon. I think he's in the position that he's going to be for his major league career, but I do think he's going to have a lengthy major league career as a uh, reliever, right in middle leverage to even high leverage reliever. Uh, and then, of course, Colson Montgomery. We'll, we'll see on how he fares, but that would be one area as far as player development because as a major league baseball team, you invest the majority of your time and obviously signing bonus pool money on your first round pick. I don't think you could screw it up. And the white Sox, not saying that they're lucky because again, we just listed off all these great prospects and it takes great scouting of other teams, farm systems to pinpoint. We want these guys in return for our best players. Cause we are rebuilding and kudos to the scouting department to identify the best prospects from those teams. But for the White Sox moving forward and Chris Getz's job really needs to do a better job with the first round prospects and make sure that you have a good game plan, a good development plan, because if Colson Montgomery falters in three to four years and and hopefully, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm hoping we don't have this conversation. I'm hoping we have the conversation three to four years if Colson Montgomery is good enough to be a starter, a full-time starter for the White Sox. But we have seen the White Sox disastrous first-round history. And what actually led them to having to rebuild is that for a decade plus, they never hit on their first-round picks. And it, it just really screwed up. Uh, a moment in their team's history where they have all these great players, but they can't win more than 80 games because they just got no depth. Uh, they're very stars and scrubs model. So I'm, I'm hoping, Phil, that moving forward, comparing the White Sox to other organizations, I think they have done a fantastic job to identify good prospects or prospects with value from other organizations. I think they need to improve upon their own drafted prospect development. Next question comes from David, and David is asking, do you see it as a failure of the White Sox, or just a stroke of bad luck, that they never got the, quote, player that a other team gave up on becomes good, end quote, that rebuilding teams seem to get? Example, Jake Arrieta with the Cubs, Max, Mun Max Muncy with the Dodgers, and Josh Hamilton with the Texas Rangers. Well, I guess it depends on, you know, like the Jose Quintana was that guy for many, many, many years. And then he turned into uh, Eloy Jimenez. So, I mean, they have had that guy in the past. They got a lot of, during the, like, the late Kenny Williams era, like a lot of that was developing pitching, using other teams' uh, cast-offs to uh, fuel the pitching staff, like you know Miguel Gonzalez when he came over, Hector Noesi. But they weren't uh, transcendent talents along the lines of Quintana, but they found ways to fill in the pitching staff. Uh, when that ran out, that's when they started to you know really scuffle because they couldn't, develop those guys. But yeah, I, I think it's, you know, like we said, it's just a little bit behind other teams when it comes to uh, swing changes, when it comes to pitch design, pitch lab. I, I, I think uh, 
they're trying to catch up and perhaps uh, they'll see more of that. But for the time being, I think that if Gavin Sheets, like somebody Gavin Sheets, the, the White Sox didn't invite him to an alternate training site. Like they invite Romy Gonzalez to an alternate training site. And they turn out to have like uh, revelatory seasons to where they might be somebody. They're showing signs there. And those are the kind of developments that can make you think that they can be better about scouting minor league free agents. Um, yeah, even let's say Omar Narvaez. Like he's somebody who you know, be, turned from a, a AAA Rule 5 draft guy to a major league uh, caliber catcher. And then he's been even better since. But, you know, they did the work to find him and, uh, you know, put them on everybody else's radar. So they've had successes like that in the past. They don't have that guy right now, I don't think. But at least there's progress in making players, making potential interesting guys out of non-prospects to where maybe that can transfer over to players who are not yet in the organization. Those examples, though, Jake Arrieta going from Baltimore Orioles burnout to National League Cy Young incredibly rare in major league baseball. Mm-hmm. I would argue, I mean the, what the white Sox even got out of Brian Goodwin was impressive. Brian Goodwin couldn't start for the Pittsburgh pirates. <laughs> and then he comes to the white Sox, and yeah, he wasn't great, but he had great moments and he helped the white Sox preventing from drowning coming up big in some games and, and having good stretches of time. But I, I like your Jose Quintana example, Jim, because then again, you know, Quintana turns into Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease, and they are huge parts of this White Sox team. So the White Sox may have already had that player, and they uh, they traded them away, obviously, to get two key contributors for their current contending team. Yeah, I think there are some teams like the the Dodgers, Yankees, and Rays to where they can they seem to find more of those guys. Are like, yeah, where'd this guy come from? Uh, how is he a tenth round draft pick and all of a sudden throwing ninety eight mm-hmm. or St. Louis? Yeah, St. Louis. Like they have those. So there are teams that are better uh, at, at uh, turning other teams' discards into contributors. And every time they sign a former White Sox or they trade. if there are trade rumors, I'm thinking like, why do they like this player? Uh, what mm-hmm. were the White Sox not doing? And oftentimes like they, nothing comes of it. And so you don't think of it uh, because it's, they do a lot of churn and they just go through a lot of players. So they take a lot of shots. Um, and so maybe their, their shooting percentage still isn't like remarkable. It's just, they have the denominator that makes uh, that gives them a, a greater number of chances for those noteworthy hits that, uh, um, you didn't see coming. So if the White Sox, you know, I, I think it's something that the White Sox might have learned from last year is to maybe be a bit more aggressive in changing guys out in terms of acquiring guys, signing guys, uh, you know, bringing them up, setting them down, seeing what works, using their two good weeks and then having another guy uh, ready to deliver maybe two good weeks if uh, that player turns into a pumpkin. So I think that's uh, a lot of it was due to emergency, but even if things calm down, I hope the White Sox maintain that open-mindedness they have and trying a lot of different guys in a lot of positions they might not be used to just because what they currently have isn't working or isn't going to work for very long. Our next question comes from Daniel, and Daniel is asking, how many fans do you think baseball will lose forever when they cancel more games tomorrow? I would say that right now the damage has been done. Yeah, I think, you know, canceling games to begin with, having just the this ugly situation dragged into the regular season, that did damage. Now I think if they lose 
uh, a week or so of April each week. If they say like, well, second week's off, third week's off, like that's going to keep things. I think a lot of fans, you know, this is just my sense, are bracing for no major league games in April. But I think if it drags into May, if it drags into mm-hmm. you know past Memorial Day, <laughs> where it becomes like uh, the summer, uh, school's out, um, just the, you know, the normal summer rhythms that are no longer there and for no and they're not there for bad reasons <laughs> like it just that's the only way you could put it like when it comes to the 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 labor um disputes and how little money and how small of changes they're arguing over if this drags into may over you know what 20 million dollars 50 million dollars of cbt uh, threshold and uh, $30 million of bonus pool that may or may not be used depending on what kind of years guys have like just, or even like with the, with the, with the competitive balance tax threshold, it might not even be this year. Like if the league started at like 216 for this year, but then agreed to go to 224 and 228 the following years, we don't know what the union would say to that. It's just that they've kept the first number low and the next four numbers also low. That makes it so laughable. That So just the, the negotiation has been so poor and it's over such a small amount of money that affects so few teams and it just doesn't change the way teams operate, doesn't force them to spend money they don't have to really. Uh, you know, just it, It'll really be mind-boggling and at that point you can only really... You know, when you look at franchise values appreciating and just the the, the way uh, uh, you know ownerships are treating their assets, is that it's just basically like a glorified like portfolio holding more than a competitive entity. And we're basically watching somebody's you know four hundred one k or IRA. <laughs> that's not really um, you know that's not a spectator sport. Uh, watching somebody else's asset appreciate or not in this case. But yeah, I think that's really what it would seem like if it drags in the summer, that they're not actually interested in staging games because some teams, it hurts them. Or some teams, like, it it, it, uh, gets in the way of their profiting and their real estate developments and their uh, greater plans for whatever they're going to use the prestige uh, to acquire more money. It's uh, Baseball really takes a back seat, and... If they're not serious about it, I don't know how you can expect fans to be serious about it. Yeah, I think they'll look elsewhere, especially if, you know, other sports are more exciting and, and just, you know, even active. <laughs> like, if the, like say in Chicago, if there's no baseball in the uh, summer and the Bulls are good and the sky uh, is good and the fire uh, is interesting for soccer fans and the Bears are, you know, they have a new administration and Justin Fields, if he has moments like... Baseball will take a back seat. And Chicago is a lucky town. Like they have two teams. Uh, you know, one of them has been good the last decade plus to where like there's always a good there's always been a good team to watch in Chicago for like the last, you know, eight years, to where just if you want to watch good baseball, if you want to watch October grade baseball, there's been a team to watch. Other markets that don't have that team that's always at the ready, I don't know, you know, that if uh, they alienate fans, like I think they're taking fans for granted. And I think, you know, when you look at the 
the problems that fans have stuck through with you know, the whole Rob Manfred administration, just uh, constantly crapping on the product, slow pace of play, ratings dropping, you know, just every ad being a hair loss or boner pill ad <laughs> during the season. Like there's, no, they had such a, a difficulty appealing to younger fans and and a wider range of fans. And if they just take all the games off the table that basically just craps on the fans that have been sticking out the whole time or happy to watch it no matter what people say about the game. And I don't know how they, how baseball recovers if they alienate their core fans and there isn't that kind of a uh, growth for attendance uh, that they had in the 90s or that isn't that kind of capacity for, you know, or, or baseball doesn't have the mind share that it did in the 80s when they were labor squabbles. It seems like none of the past uh, situations where they did have canceled games, those environments no longer apply to the sports landscape and media landscape, I think, in twenty in the 2020s. This is going to be my first season as a full season ticket owner. This might be my last season as a full season ticket holder because... I do not like this setup that they have where you receive credits. So for White Sox season ticket holders, you're going to receive credits for every game missed. If you want a refund for those games, you have to send an email and get permission. Or you're going to accumulate credits that you can use for other regular season games in 2022 or get supplied to 2023 regular season games. These credits cannot be used for postseason games if the White Sox are in the postseason in 2022. And I feel like I'm not going to be the only one in, in the in this boat where, yeah, I'll get a ticket plan, but I'll get like 20 games because I'm not going to pay you for a full 81 game plan if you're never going to play 81 home games again in the regular season. Like this is crap. It is crap from a fan perspective. I've paid you money for a product. I'm not receiving that product. Any other industry, I would just get a refund for not receiving what I've already paid for. But instead, said team is going to continue keeping my money so I can have credits to apply to future games that probably won't happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I see. I think Joe Sheehan on Twitter is calling everything a scam right now. And from a fan perspective, mm -hmm. absolutely. And you know what they did last year when they opened up the stadium uh, with loosened COVID protocols? They increased the ticket value of the remaining games of the upcoming season. So for all those that bought a season ticket plan and you weren't able to sit in your seats in 2021 because of COVID restrictions, you are receiving credits and then boom, they open up the stadium. They increase the tickets of games. And all of a sudden there were a lot of people finding out that my credits have disappeared. And now I own the white Sox money because they increased the amount of money that my seats were. I mean, that's bait and switch. So I think what you're going to see, Daniel, is yes, I think you're going to see some fans, loose fans, uh, not coming back to the sport. They're going to find other things to distract them. But for the diehards, I think what you're going to see is fewer full season ticket owners. They're going to still buy a season ticket plan, 
They may get a weekend plan for the season. So that's about 20 games or they'll buy, you know, 10 game plans. But I think you're going to see fewer full season ticket plans because this is not, this is, there's very little value being a full season ticket holder for the Chicago White Sox. When you compare it to other things like your, your hotel points, your airline points, you get the credit cards and everything. That's pretty good customer service. You could feel like a VIP mm-hmm. There's no VIP experience as a White Sox season ticket holder. Their sales team has been terrible uh, as far as with support. There's nothing I can, there's nothing good I can say about being a full season ticket holder for the Chicago White Sox, and they're not the only ones in the boat. And I know they, they feel terrible because there's really nothing that they can do at this moment, but this is what we're going to see across entire Major League Baseball. Get that TV money. Because I think you're going to lose more money not having as many full season ticket plans moving forward. Yeah, and then it just kind of slides into the trend where just, you know, every major league park has clubs. And it's just more about extracting money from the club experience. Right. Um, and then, you know, rather than the normal tickets. And on Joe Ostrowski, a uh, friend of the show, on 670 Score, he does his uh, Saturday morning sports betting show. And he brought in a a state representative and they were talking about because Wrigley Field is getting the DraftKings Sportsbook that's currently being constructed and being part of Wrigley Field. What's coming for the White Sox and the Chicago Bears? And they said it's a bit tricky because these are state these are state leased venues, Soldier Field Hmm. and Guarantee Rate Field. Uh, So can you build a sports book? on a state leased property. That's what they're trying to navigate. So we don't know when the White Sox are going to have a sports book part of their stadium. But if the state of Illinois could work that out and they could figure out the logistics of it, that might be coming soon. And maybe more fans are not going inside the stadium to watch the game. They're just going to go to the sports book and watch the game and, and place their bets while the game is happening in them happening in the stadium behind them <laughs> have you been to a sports book yeah i've been to sports books yeah i've never been i think i've walked through one one time but like i'm really when it comes to like sports books I, i've been to some uh a few otbs and those are always just kind of sad it's it's very similar yeah very similar so yeah that's not great either like when it's just you know, when you're following, like yeah, you lose the whole uh you know going to a park to root for the local nine with my uh, fellow fans. It becomes more about just like extract. You know, in this case, like I guess this gives fans a chance to extract money from the game the way uh, teams extract money from fans, you know, when they go to these club situations. But, uh, you know, as we know with gambling, like that doesn't usually work that way. I think Circa in Las Vegas, though, is really changing the vibe of sports books. And I think the direction moving forward is let's build the best sports bar possible. That also is a place where you can make bets. So I think that's going to be the direction moving forward. A lot of sports books today feel like the off-track betting sites. And if you like people watching, great place to people watch. But it's it's not great. It's not a great experience. But I think moving forward, sports books are going to try to take the path that Circa has in Las Vegas and try to build the best sports bar possible that you could also place bets. Well... We'll see what comes in the future for the White Sox on that front. But as far as losing fans, I think 
the fringe baseball fans will drop off when more games are canceled and just tune out for Major League Baseball. I, I'm really curious on what's going to happen with the full season ticket plan uh, percentage moving forward because it's just it's just not a great value right now. The White Sox, other Major League Baseball teams, they just do not provide great value in being a full season ticket holder. Uh, a couple rapid fire questions as we wrap up here, Jim. Monica's asking, all right, let's move over to football real quick. Would you like current Aaron Rodgers playing for the Chicago Bears? And I'm going to bring this up as the A.J. Przinsky experience mm-hmm. because A.J. Przinsky with the Twins, White Sox fans hated his guts. And I hated him a little bit more when he was in the San Francisco Giants, not because of his play with the Giants, but because the Twins got uh, Francisco Liriano uh, <laughs> for A.J. Przinsky. And it made the Twins a lot better uh, in that season. And it was just a disaster as a White Sox fan to have to deal with Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano uh, for that season for the Minnesota Twins. But then A.J. Brzezinski joins the Chicago White Sox, and he's one of the most beloved White Sox players in our lifetime, Jim, and just how mm-hmm. things rapidly change. Aaron Rodgers has to be top three most hated Green Bay Packer for Chicago Bears fans uh, ever. I'm wondering how that would work, though, if Aaron Rodgers took over as the quarterback for the Bears. I think, uh, you know, if Justin Fields didn't exist, they'd be like, sure, get him. Yeah, but I think with Fields being more likable with, um, you know, Rodgers doing what he is, it's like I can see, you know, just not being the time. I'm trying to think, you know, when it comes to, you know, more hated Packers, like Charles Martin's there and maybe, you know, Brett Favre or Forrest Gregg or something like that. But, yeah, I think – yeah, Rodgers is up there. I'm I'm kind of a nominal Bears fan, and just I don't let them hurt me anymore. So whenever they have some kind of collapse, when you know, uh, Neggy's uh, uh, era turns into a pumpkin, and he just uh, you know, basically the the enduring images, his uh, blank stare on the double doink, and everything that happened to his administration since, just like I can only really I'm I'm wired to laugh at it. So if it came to Rodgers coming over and just like further owning the bears by playing poorly for them <laughs> just uh you know and, and and being like a, a little bit of a double agent type thing i would just be like sure it's the bears well, you know who cares why but i think there's enough going for them i think there's a new enough era and i just yeah the more rogers talks the less he shouldn't <laughs> uh i just really don't want to see him get the kind of bandwidth that uh uh the bears provide such players in chicago I just go with justin fields I like Justin Fields. He played really well against the San Francisco 49ers uh, this this past season. I just let Justin Fields play. But it, if Aaron Rodgers were to play for the Chicago Bears, and if Aaron Rodgers were to do very well for the Chicago Bears and take the Bears deep into the postseason, I'm wondering if there would be an A.J. Pruszynski effect with Aaron Rodgers. Or maybe, Jim, he's played already too many seasons with the Packers and because I think, yeah, Brzezinski played more seasons with the White Sox and the Twins in the end, right? Anybody who makes the Bears relevant will be loved. I don't think Rod- the scar tissue that Rodgers has provided uh, can be, like, if he gives them a legitimate chance of being a Super Bowl team um, and not just the kind of, uh, if everything breaks right and if the defense holds up, like if he provides if he provides MVP production at quarterback, if the Bears ever got MVP production from quarterback, I'm trying to think what they... <laughs> <laughs> could do what they'd have to do to make Bears fans hate them still. 
Well, Monica, thank you so much for your question. And our last question coming from Ray Lewis, guitar hero or rock band? I really have little experience with either. Okay. Cause I had a guitar and I had a drum set before the kid was born. I sold my drum set because I figured like, I'm, I'm not going to get a chance to play this poorly with a baby around. So I never actually got into the, uh, uh, the fake instruments I'd rather, yeah, cause I'd probably play them just as poorly. So yeah. So I never got into them. Not of any egotistical thing like, Oh, this is uh, you know, why would I play a fake thing when I can play the real know, thing, play yeah. real six strings behind me. Yeah. No, it's just more a matter of just, uh, the times I have for video games are dwindling. So anything that took more equipment and more time to master, just, I play like the same four games over and over again, because like the, I play, I play games when I have like 30 minutes to kill and I'd rather just have something with a low learning curve. Yeah. So guitar hero, I, I love both of these games and I played a lot of these games during college. And then a couple of years after college between the two, I enjoy rock band more because you had multiple people playing with you at the same time. Like mm-hmm. someone was doing the vocals, someone was guitar, someone was drums. And I really enjoyed that aspect where it was more of a team thing. Guitar Hero is great by yourself. And I think if you're just playing one player, Guitar Hero is better than Rock Band. But the problem was with Guitar Hero, you would always have those guys that would pick Freebird as a song that they want to play when they were next in line. Mm. And it's like, oh, God, we're going to have to watch you for eight minutes screw up this song? Like, oh, sure, go for it, Jake. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> So it wasn't great from a party atmosphere to watch someone flub Freebird on Guitar Hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rock band in, in a party setting, if people are coming over and you all want to play video games together... That's why I preferred Rock Band over Guitar Hero. Solid reasoning. I was not good at either of them, <laughs> especially the drums. I can never get the drums going on Rock Band. You were you were uh, you were a Dance Dance Revolution guy. I could try. You know, I'm 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 not terrible at Dance Dance Revolution, but then I saw someone who was amazing at Dance Dance Revolution, and I quit. Yeah, <laughs> like they were just like floating across the board. And yeah, I'm I'm too white. Uh, I just I just don't have the I don't have the rhythm uh, to do all of the arrow combinations. Uh, and because at one point they were playing both sides of of the the floor, and that's that's just when I I quit with the dance that's revolution. That's like somebody who can play two different time signatures with both hands on piano, just five fourth one hand, three fourth in the other, and just somehow making them line up. And just my brain uh, does not work that way. Yep, same. Same, but great question, Ray. And I'd love to hear uh, who is Team Guitar Hero and who is Team Rock Band as far as the comments section on the podcast post. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. We ran long in this episode and we still have questions remaining. Uh, So we'll save these questions for a future podcast because God knows uh, this uh, CBA negotiations not going to get resolved anytime soon. So we have ample time to continue answering your guys' questions about house renovations and about baseball and video games or whatever else is on your mind. So we'll do more episodes like this. And if we didn't get to your question in this episode, we will in a future episode. But it will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We plugged it earlier in the show, but if you have just discovered Sox Machine or if you've been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, 
Think about supporting us at patreon.com slash socks machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content like the MLB draft reports that I do every single week, uh, capturing as far as all the activity that happened as far as with college baseball and prep baseball and tracking the top drive prospects. Our Patreon supporters also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity to purchase our new Sox Machine swag. And we're out of the trucker caps, but we still have the t-shirts, right, Jim, in the Sox Machine store? Yep. Uh, A couple of a few sizes. All right. Well, we got a pretty low inventory on that front as well, so we have to think of uh, new stuff uh, that you guys can get your hands on. But again, you can sign up. It's $2 a month. Uh, We have plans starting at $2 a month. An annual plan save you 9% off of the monthly plans. And you can sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. You can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music and Google Podcasts. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>